me to the book of James, James chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at a passage that has been uh, utilized in a number of ways over the years, particularly um, about our speaking and the tongue. And um, all of these verses in this third chapter are tremendous, tremendous uh, words of direction for us. But today we're going to be looking at this passage from the context in which James wrote it. And that context is found in the very first verse of chapter 3. And it has to do with teachers. It has to do with whether the individuals uh, are, are being called to be a teacher or whether they're wanting to, um, to be a teacher so that they can control things. And it also speaks about what type of teaching we hear and what type of teaching we commit ourselves to, and in doing so, what the result of that is. Uh, because that first verse, my brethren, be not many masters, the word master there is teacher, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. The interesting thing, be not many, can, can mean two things, and I think it means both of them. One is don't heap to yourself lots of teachers. And the other is don't try to be a teacher unless God has really called you to be um, sending forth a message from him that is more foundational. See, there's a difference between teaching and preaching. The, in, in, in the fivefold offices, the, the, the preachers are exhorting people. They are proclaiming things that have already been established. They are they are drawing from the reservoir of what the doctrine is that God has given, and they are exhorting. They are, um, they are bringing words that are rhema words to people in certain times. That's, that's preaching. It is the proclaiming of what is known. When you're, when you're a teacher, specifically a spirit-led teacher, what you responsible for is to go before the Lord, use your gift to hear from Him, and to uh, elaborate upon what God has written, to, to stay true to what He has said, and hearing what He's saying freshly, and then establishing that present truth. And um, that's, that's what divinely inspired teaching is. Now, the sad part as we've taught about this in the past, is that so often teachers, uh, in whether it be in any denomination, um, sometimes can become set in their ways and they lock the door for anything fresh that the breath of God from His Word might be saying. I, I remember when I was growing up, uh, and I still can't remember back that far, and I'm sure those of you who were raised in church, sometimes you'd hear people say, preachers say, now be careful about going to seminary, or should I say, cemetery. Did you ever hear anything like that? Because so often 
when you have people who, who are set in a scholastic environment, uh, the enemy begins to work on them, and if they don't stay close to God, if they don't stay true to seeking Him and wanting to see a fresh visitation of His heart, soon they begin to atrophy. And as is the case, I remember when I first came to Dallas many, many years ago, back in uh, 1977, I was, um, uh, I, I met Pastor Noah from Oak Cliff Assembly of God, and then I interned with him. And he, he, was, he was saying, when you, when you come to Dallas, at that point I was talking with him about coming to be on his staff there at Oak Cliff. And he said, when you come to Dallas, do you want to continue your education? And I said, well, probably. And he said, well, let me tell you which seminaries not to go to. And you want to go someplace that will teach you, but will continue to uh, embellish your walk with God. And because, and then he listed off a number of them. And he'd been here in Dallas for 40 years. He was a, a mighty, mighty man of God. Um, he, he moved in the things of the Spirit. If didn't matter who came, whether it was Catherine Kuhlman, Oral Roberts, Kenneth Hagin, he was the one that hosted those ministries. He was the one that coordinated their crusades. And um, so he certainly wasn't, he wasn't not inclusive of what God was doing. But he, uh, he cautioned me, don't go to this school. Don't go to this school because likely you'll come out of there not even believing the Word of God. And, and so the challenge is that um, God has always wanted His people to continue to learn the deeper things of His Word. And you can learn the deeper things of His Word while staying true to what the Word actually says. And, um, but the challenge is that so often... Uh, the enemy, I think the enemy hits all of the five-fold offices, but um, I, I, um, I know that one of the main ones that he hits is the teacher, because any present truth needs to be received from a person who is seeking God, and then they need to align it with the Scripture. They don't need to just say, okay, this is a present thing. Let me pull a few verses out of context and say how that's not for today. That's usually what happens. You know, I'm, we're putting together a collection of tenets of beliefs for our saints' network that are absolutely necessary for anybody that comes alongside of us. And um, it, I'm not putting, we're not putting together quite 16 of them but we are going to put at least five of them. And it begins, number one, with the Word of God. The Word of God is inerrant. It's inspired. We cannot vary from that. We cannot deconstruct from that. We cannot say, point out all the problems. You see, when you study this, you see that um, for hundreds of years, there has been a battle, and it really started when, um, when the Protestant movement began to say, we don't want to be Catholic anymore. We want to have the Word of God for ourselves. We don't want to just mumbled in Latin by a priest. And so we, we, want, we want the Word of God. And when the Protestants split away, then you had 
lots of discussion mostly generated through Catholicism back then, hundreds of years ago, that said, well, you know what, this word that you say you have now, there are so many errors in it, there are so many problems, and you can't really trust it. You need to come with us so that, so that you have the Pope that can continue to give fresh words. And those arguments have been going on for hundreds of years. It's funny how they're resurfacing now. And, um, but if, you, if you're going to follow a teacher in the things of godliness, you want to make sure that the first thing you follow is somebody that says, what I'm teaching is from this book. What I'm, and, and if you start following any teacher who starts their diatribe or hides it or weaves it in somewhere saying, well, you know, you really can't trust the Bible. I can give you a real quick answer. You can bless that person and get away from that as fast as you can. Because anything that is not based on the Word of God is going to be deception. Satan said that to Eve in the garden. You remember the first thing he said? What hath God said? And he began to question what God said, the motive of God, how God really didn't mean this, but he was really trying to hold somebody back from a further truth. Nothing is new. There's nothing new under the sun. That's the same, that's the same framework that goes on today. And so and you don't really have to, you don't have to really study very hard to hear whether somebody's promulgating that. So James, as a pastor in this, in this early church setting, the two most famous pastors were James and Timothy. James came out of the framework of the disciples and of the Jewish community and the brother of the Lord. It was a, is a wonderful resource, his wisdom, his direction. In fact, James rose up when Peter was brought before the council about whether he uh, should have gone to Cornelius' house or not. And James, James really was a word of wisdom saying, oh, look, we've, we've, got, to, we've got to make sure we're following God here. And, um, and Timothy, of course, was Paul's son in the faith. And Timothy was more rooted in the Gentile church and what was God was beginning to do there. So between the two of them, we have a pretty good scope of what God was doing in that first hundred years of the church. But James, coming from the more established framework, knew that for any group, and as, as God began to move mightily throughout the word, what people believed and what was being taught was going to be the foundation of whether their faith fell or stood. And, and it's still that way today. It wasn't just visitations. It wasn't just manifestations and experiences and miracles. Those things happened, but um, it, was, it was that strong foundation of what someone believed and, and making sure it was from God and not being rigid and inflexible, but having a foundation to where you could move into the things that God was wanting to do now. And that's the beauty. Sometimes people say, well, if you hold on to the Bible, you'll never be able to grow. You'll never be able to be relevant. You'll never be current. And I just think that's ridiculous. 
When you hold on to the Word of God, anything new that God is doing is going to build off what He's done before. And that anchor is going to be sure. That foundation is going to be sure. Any building here in Dallas, you see them beginning to rise up. That foundation on that building site is going to determine how tall that building can be and how, how secure it's going to be. If the foundation is not there, or if you get to the fifth floor and say, oh, we don't need that foundation anymore, pretty soon that place is going to look like the old crooked house at Six Flags, which I don't think they have anymore, um, which is probably good because I never liked that thing anyway. But, you know, there's a place in San Francisco, a huge skyscraper that was built, and the foundation is awful. And the foundation has been leaning about three inches each year in one, in one direction. And all the people that bought condos and things in that place are saying, what? This is crazy. Oh, it's big news. I mean, you, you may not hear about it very much because of all the other nonsense that goes on with San Francisco, but the foundation was not solid. Oh, it's a great building. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, it's, it's really great for all the people who work down there to have their offices or, or their homes there. But the foundation is lousy, and the place pretty soon is going to fall over. One good quake, and that baby's gone. And you should hear all the political nonsense that's going back and forth, insurance companies that are disclaiming what they can or won't do. You know, if the foundation is not secure, you don't have anything. But if the foundation is secure, you can build on that, and, and, and the foundation is not going to stop you from building. If you build a sure enough foundation, then you can build and grow. And that's one of the things over the past 20-plus years that God has been moving uh, so mightily in the Saints Network. We've been privileged to experience phenomenal things in God, tremendous manifestations of His Spirit, uh, tremendous measures of growth into pretty much every continent. I think there's one continent, too, that we've not gone to. But God is making these pathways. But the thing about it is we've never come to a point where we've said, well, you know, what we're experiencing now, we can't really find that in the Bible. So I guess we just need to drop kick the Bible and we'll just go with what we're experiencing because we don't want to be not current here in society. No, God's word will never pass away. Not one jot, not one tittle. It, through eternity, it's going to still be alive and vibrant. And so teachers have a great responsibility not to become pharisaical where we say, okay, this is the word. Remember what the Pharisees did? And they, they, this, is the, this is the scripture, and they'd build a fence around it, then they'd build a fence around that, then they'd build a fence around that. It's, it's, it's really just basically putting the word in a mausoleum. We can't be that because what will happen then is those people will shoot down everything that God is doing and they'll start denying what God did. It's amazing how that happens. So they cut off any new growth and they debunk 
any past growth. And then you start hearing things like, well, you know, you really can't believe that Moses led the people through the, through the Red Sea on dry land. And you really can't believe that there was a guy named Noah, even though every civilization and every culture has some, some testimony about a great flood, with a, but, but we really can't believe that. And we really can't believe that Jesus actually healed a guy's eye by putting mud in them. You know, we really can't. And pretty soon, you've got nothing but a, but a redacted book of pages that maybe one out of every ten verses, you might say, oh, yeah, I can go along with that. Pretty soon, you've dug yourself a grave, and you're going to die in it with no life and with no hope. And, you know... In, in putting together this, uh, this flow point of agreement for our saints network and those who will come alongside, I started reading some of the position papers of a number of, uh, of denominations, Pentecostal denominations, because I want us to measure twice and three and four times before we actually cut and say, this is what we must have as a belief with those who are walking together with us as saints. There could be a lot of variations outside of this, but if this foundation is there, then we can walk in harmony with people, and we don't have to worry about them getting off into heresy or doing these other things and then having to, you know, backtrack and go to them and say, oh, what, what's this you're doing? You know, we can't walk with that. We can't have that. There's got to be a set of, of rules. And I was reading some two position papers, and I won't say the denomination, even though I know it very well. And I was reading page after page about how they don't believe that the apostolic is really for today. And I thought, why are you writing this? I don't see any verses that talk about the word apostle that is all through the New Testament. I don't see you citing any of those, and you're supposed to be all the gospel. So you're just saying that there aren't any apostles. That same old lame thing that I heard when I was in school, that if you didn't walk on the earth looking at Jesus in the flesh when he was ministering for those three and a half years, you can't be an apostle. And, I, and I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, don't you realize that this one thing right here is damning the movement? And I, not just me saying that. I know that there were meetings put together by their leader with the top 25 and then another with the top 30 churches in the movement, and that's the one thing that, that is the problem. And I'm thinking, you don't want to be rigid with something. You want to actually be able to say, well, you know, we had to take this position before, but we really realize looking into the Scripture and what God's doing that, yes, there is an apostolic ministry today. And I, sometimes I think, you know, if you don't have your teacher structure right, no matter how smart people are, you can either lead your people into damnation or you can hold them back from the growth that God wants to, to have. And so when James says this in, in chapter 3, verse 1, he's saying, my brothers, you make sure that you select the ones that are really anointed to be teachers, and you make sure that you don't just go out and receive any and all teachers because condemnation is going to address itself one way or the other. And this word condemnation here does not mean, you know, just ridiculing and damning people. 
it means that there is going to be a test. There are going to be a lot of tests that come upon which foundational teaching you hold on to. Number one, it's going to test your faith when God begins to move. Is this teaching that I've chosen to follow secure in God to where I can breathe through it in growing into what he wants? And that is a test. We all had to face that, and I face that with every new thing that happens. I always go to the Word and I say, Father, show me. Show us. Because if it's not in the Word, we're not going. And, and that, is, that is kind of a travail. And that has to happen. The enemy's going to attack what you believe. And, you know, it's just like when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Every temptation that Satan spoke was based on a scripture. And Jesus answered with a scripture. So as you're moving forward, the enemy is going to be coming at you with whether what you're believing is right. And that's a testing. Then there will be naysayers and doubters who will say, oh, what you're doing is not scriptural. What you're doing is not of God. How many times did we hear that? And I'm thinking, okay, you're telling me that what we're preaching from the Word is not the Word. I just never understood how that could be, but yet you're going to hear that, whether it comes from old Aunt Myrtle or whether it comes from some, some radio preacher you hear or whether, it, you know, what you believe is going to be tested. And it may not be, it may, the test may come from godly people. Um, Jesus said those that will test you the most come from your own household. That's not me saying it, that's Jesus. In fact, I think he calls them enemies. But you're going, your faith is going to be tested as, as gold is purified. And so you better be sure that you that you have a foundation in what you believe, and you better be sure that the teachers you yield yourself to, or certainly if you are a teacher, what you speak forward is built on that foundation from God, and it begins with the Word of God, and that what you put forward is Scripture. One time I was having a discussion with a brother about something that was happening in one of the theaters of operation in our network, and there were some things that went on that troubled me. And I said, I don't really like what happened here, and we got to make sure that this doesn't happen again because it is not scriptural. And in the midst of the discussion, there was a statement made, well, not everything we do is scriptural. And I looked, and it was like somebody hit me in the side of the head with a brick. And I said, what? tell me what we're doing that's not scriptural. And there was a lot of filibustering and moving about. But again, if we just stick true to God's word and built line upon line, according to what Isaiah said, what God shows you, that next level comes onto that, and then it comes onto that, we're going to grow in the Lord, and we're not going to be hindered in any way. And in fact, when you move in the spirit realm, when you move as an intercessor and you're doing, you're doing warfare in the heavens on behalf of the Lord or you are, you are interceding about something that God is doing in a nation or in a continent, you want to make absolutely certain that 
what you have believed and what you are pursuing is rooted and grounded in the Word. Because I can guarantee you, if you hide that Word in your heart, you will not miss the mark. And, and some of the deepest intercessory times I've ever had, and I've been blessed to, and you've all had them, so I'm not saying I'm some paragon, I'm the only one who has this. At some point, what I, what I knew of the Scripture was brought into question in the spirit realm. And immediately then, the Holy Spirit did what the Bible promises. He would bring things to my memory. He would bring all things to my remembrance, and I could call them forth and establish that. And as soon as the Word was established, whatever it is the enemy was trying to do or whatever perplexity was presented was, was just vanished. So we cannot become a people who deconstruct the Word of God. We cannot become a people who begin to say, well, you know, there are other teachings out there. They don't necessarily believe in the Bible, but yet they say some good things. That's satanic territory. And if you don't know that, we need to lay hands on you and cast some stuff out of you. But we must be established. It is a teaching, uh, uh, apostolic teaching ministry. When, when we, for instance, we're putting together a framework now for new believers and new saints throughout all of South America to begin to come alongside and a framework of how they grow and what they study. And I stand before God when, when those people are taught. I don't want there to be one thing that comes forth out of this house or out of this network that is askance or aside from the word of the Lord. We will have to answer for that. And I, I'm answering for it now. It, it, it's not that I'm on the side thinking, oh, I wish we could add this in, but it's not on the Word. I mean, you stay squarely in the middle of God's holy Word, and you're going to be blessed. And everything that we teach, everything that we teach others to teach, <clears throat> has to be firmly rooted and grounded in the Word. So James says this, and then he goes on, and he talks about all these verses regarding the tongue. We've used some of these, haven't we? And we've, we've cautioned people against gossip and maligning people's characters and saying things that we ought not to say. And, and we've seen those truths over and over again. I remember one time when we had just were in the process of receiving the left foot of fellowship from a, a former movement, and God's going to bring that back, uh, that, that not the left foot of fellowship, but, you know, fellowship again. Uh, I, I remember a quote I was writing to uh, an official in the movement, and, and uh, I, I remember a quote that Mark Twain said. And he said, the, um, you know, some of, the, some of the things that you're saying here um, aren't true. And uh, I said, and I quoted Mark Twain, and I said, uh, uh, Mark Twain said that, a lie can be all the way around the world while the truth is still tying its shoes. And, you know, we've got to be really careful with what we say and what we declare. But we have to recognize as well that all of these words that James speaks about the tongue are, are the meat in the sandwich of watching 
what teachers you have and what you teach. Because what you receive in teaching and what you speak will create great fire and it will direct great ships going into the nations. It will cause there to be either iniquity or life. And all of those statements about what you say are a, a continuation of what he says about teachers. Do you see that? Now, the principles themselves about the tongue can be used. We all have tongues. We don't have to be teachers. I found out that people don't really have to know what they're talking about to talk. <laughs> Some, a lot of times I'm guilty of that. But, um, you know, these are good lessons for anybody who has a tongue and knows how to use it. Because you can be damaging, you can be a blessing. But the essence of what James is saying here is be careful who's teaching you and be careful what you're teaching. Because not only is it going to be tested, but on down through the line, you see that horses have bits in their mouths, ships, forest fires, all kinds of things that are, that are going on. And whatever is taught to you and whatever you're teaching is, is going to be powerful. And you can't just play around with it. You can't dabble with it. You've got to make sure that what you're doing and what you're teaching and what you're hearing uh, is, is secure because you want your ship to go where it's supposed to be. You want to go forth in battle as a goodly horse in battle. You want to see God move in the mountains. You want to see him move in the places where he's called you to. Well, the tongue is going to determine whether you have destruction or whether you have victory. I want to have victory. How about you? And so then he comes to this. And um, he says uh, in verse 10 of James 3, out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a fountain send forth at the same place or out of the same source sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brothers, bear olive trees, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Now let's talk about that. Why would James say that if we're in context here? He's talking about teachers, then he's talking about the tongue. What's this business about <clears throat> bad water and good, and then why in the world are you talking about fig trees, olive berries, vines, and figs? Well, it makes perfect sense. Because sometimes teachers will come, and they'll talk only about revelation which is what the fig represents. We've studied about figs in the Bible. In fact, in, in John chapter 1, going into chapter 2, you know the great story of when Nathanael was called and he came before Jesus and Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. And we talked about how the fig in the Old Testament going into the New had to do with the people thought that the figs were, were something that helped you in being able to commune with God. And sometimes the rabbis and other people would go and sit in a fig orchard. They would sit under the tree believing that they would receive some kind of commune with God. That was what the people felt in those days. 
And, you know, you go back to when Adam and Eve fell, as soon as they recognized that, that they had bit off more than they should have chewed, um, what, what did they use to make their aprons? Fig leaves. Suddenly, they recognized that they had missed it, and they determined, you know, we want to we get back into right relationships, so we're going to cover ourselves with fig leaves. Figs represented some kind of revelation. But revelation, the fig tree, cannot bear olives. Why would James say this? Why would under the anointing of the Spirit, in a conversation about teachers and what you do with your tongue, why would he immediately go into this? Because you've got to be careful when people are just talking about spiritual revelation and experience. Because that in itself is not going to bring about what the olive represents, a true calling from God and an anointing wherein you must be pressed to where you must give all that you are so that you can function to the very last ounce in committing yourself to what God has called you to do. The fig cannot produce that. Revelation from God cannot produce that. Every revelation that God's given to us has come because we committed ourselves to what he wanted to do. It wasn't revelation first, and let's just frolic in revelation. It was commitment to God, and then the spirit of truth guides us into the things that we must give to God and in the things we must experience. So James says, if you're just wanting to have a fig relationship with God, and you're looking for teachers that are talking about mystical things, you're not going to really be walking in the anointing. Then he says, can a vine produce figs? Sometimes people think, well, you know, I just like the fellowship. You know, I just like to sit and just commune with people. You know, that's, that's where I am. And you've got to be careful with that, too, because sometimes when you're sitting having, having a, some kind of a, of a brew, whatever that might be, and you're just communing, all kinds of things can be said. And usually the person with the most persuasiveness is going to dictate what your revelation is. And you'll come away. That's why David said in his first psalm, I'm going to be careful where I sit. I'm not going to sit in the seat of those at that table that are going to be committed to scorn or to hypocrisy. I'm going to be very careful because if you let the commonality of what people think. If you let whatever's being just talked about at the water cooler, at the local brewery, or the local uh, chips and salsa place, if you let that dictate what you believe, there's not going to be any divine revelation in that. Do you see this? James is meticulous. He's talking in wisdom, and he's speaking about what you should be receiving when you're following a teaching or whether you're teaching. It's not just about revelation, and it's certainly not about what everybody else is thinking. Does this make sense? So then he says, who is a wise man? Who is really walking in the directive of the Spirit? And who is endued with knowledge of what God is doing among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works, 
with meekness of wisdom. That's another thing about a teacher. They better be walking what they're talking. And they better be meek. They better have the power, but they better use it as God directs, not just to captivate a crowd or to try to make everybody think how spiritual they are. And, um, and then it says, if there is bitter envying, envying there is zealous, it's, it's passion, it's, it's some kind of motive based upon failed grace. Uh, that's going to bring strife, which is contention, and, you, and, and it, essentially there's going to be a lying against the truth. Boy, that's, that's, that is a tendency of the enemy. And this kind of thing descends not from God, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Number one, it comes out of the earth. Secondly, it's emotional. And thirdly, it is motivated by the demonic. How are we not seeing that today? Not just in the world, but in the church. We're seeing it all over the place. Things, well, what's the world thinking now? You know, what's the latest thing? Oh, we've got to do this. Oh, let's raise the banner of this. Oh, oh, my emotions are really wound up with that. I can't believe they're saying this, or I can't believe they're not saying this. And the devil is right there. Those three things are that kind of wisdom. But we're envying, we're this misguided passion, and this contention is there is confusion, and confusion is really unsteadiness. If you look at the meaning of the word, it means that you don't have a foundation. Your foundation is in question. And every evil work, this is not poneros. This is a really weird word in the Greek. It's phaulos. And, you know, I would sing, say etymolo etymologically, this is where we get our word foul from. It's something that stinks, something that's decaying, something that is not going to last, something that people really can't build on. And that's what the enemy wants. And I'll end this, or, well, I'll begin my ending, <laughs> by saying the wisdom that is from God is first pure. Pure here is from the root word that we translate as abide. It's M-E-N. And, and it any kind of directive God is going to give you is going to begin by you taking a stand where he's called you to stand and abiding there and setting up your welcoming of the kingdom there. Because you can't build a foundation unless you are, if you're, if you're trying to build a foundation moving every three weeks from property to property, you're going to be sleeping on the streets with the rest of the people. You gotta, you gotta, if you're going to build a foundation, you've got to say, well, Lord, where do you want me? What do you want from me? And take a stand there. God really can't move very well through people who have no continuing city. <laughs> you know, it's true. Now, he blessed Abraham who walked with God, and he blessed Enoch who walked with God. But Jesus came and said, you take up your cross you follow me, you take a stand, and there in that relationship, I'm going to build my church. So, and then it goes through the seven spirits and uh, each one of those, and then it says this is not going to be driven by any particular person's idea. 
partiality, and it's not going to be hypocritical. So I say all this for this purpose. Um, we've been having a lot of messages about truth and a lot of messages about standing in the things that God has called us to stand. We are, we are seeing some of the most phenomenal demonstrations of the fruit of the calling God has called us to. It, it is amazing in this year of grace how many tremendous things are happening throughout the world. How many doors God is opening. How many people, hungry people, are coming. And you know what they want? They're not asking us to let them feel an angel. They're not asking us to, you know, do some new trick that they haven't seen an evangelist do. You know what they're asking us for? They're asking us what the angel told Paul to come over into Macedonia and help. Show us how to call out to God. Show us how to know him. Show us we're hungry for the word. Show us that. That's what everybody who's coming alongside the saints in every nation that is opening wide is asking for. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful for the many years that you have labored in studying the things of the Word of God and putting forth the line upon line of His teaching? Aren't you grateful for that? This is what the people are hungry for. And I, I just want to caution, I want to caution the Saints Network to hold fast to what you believe. Hold fast to what God has called you to be. Know his word and stand with it. It's not dead. It's alive. It is not in error. It is God's truth. And so I, I simply declare over all of the saints' network that the greatest days the things that you have prayed and believed God for, the visitation of His Spirit that we've seen in vision and in dreams, those things are not only beginning to happen, they're blazing forth in front of our very eyes. And with that, though, we have a lot of responsibility. <clears throat> it's like preparing for a baby to come into the house you think you're prepared. You think you're prepared. And then when those first cries come at 2 in the morning, then you really recognize, what? Life as I know it is changed. And these dear ones are coming, and they're hungry, and they're, we're doing our very best as a network to feed them. But I'm telling you, what we're feeding them is the Word of God. And what we're feeding them is the deeper revelation of His truth that only the Spirit of truth can guide us into. And um, I'm very, very grateful for that. So I would say to you, and truly I am closing now, what does this mean for you, who you are? Well, stay in the Word. 
And there was a song that was sung this morning about holding fast to what God has promised you, what he said. Hold on to that. Know that what God has shown in vision, know that what God has shown and said to you in the nighttime hours, said to you prophetically, it's like what the Apostle Paul told Timothy. You know, the prophetic word that has gone before you, you fight a good fight with that. You don't surrender it. Don't let anybody take that away from you. Don't let anybody come and sell you a bill of goods and say, oh, you've got to forget about all those things, you know. You know, you, that, you know, that's the first thing a cult does. The first thing a cult does is they come and say, everything you've learned, get rid of it. And that's what the enemy will try to do. Hath God said. But hold fast to what you believe. Don't let anybody steal it from you. Because God is faithful. God is faithful. And those prophetic words that have been spoken over you for years and years and years, so many ways it seemed like they would never be. You're, you're right on the doorstep of seeing God bring a great blossom of victory in your life. But it's up to you to hold on. It's up to you to stand firm in what God has given you. And so James says, be careful who's teaching you what you're believing and who, what you're teaching. Because in every aspect of that, you're going to war one way or another, and it's best to be anchored in what God has said because that will never fail. That will never fail. So I speak over all of you the things that God has ordained for you to be from the foundation of the world when he knew you. And I, I thank you for being willing in this house, but in the houses of the saints across the world, to stand strong in your relationship with God and in your continuing application of what He has said. Because God is faithful. And the verse that we learned at the beginning of the Sunday school class, and Monica said from Habakkuk, or those of you in California, Habakkuk, um, that uh, sometimes... The word that God gives, you, well, most of the time, the word God gives, you've got to wait on it. You've got to wait on it. But if you're faithful, it will come to pass. It will come to pass. We're seeing that today, and you're going to continue to see that in your personal life. So be encouraged. Be encouraged and hold fast. And um, God God is, uh, God is good. Now, I want to say one thing. It's 29, well, let's see what time it is. That clock's always fast. Scott sets it that way, so I finish earlier than I think I am. Just joking. Um, I'll let you go at three minutes. Tonight, we're going to come to pray. And um, I want to encourage all of you because before we went on this last journey to Brazil, we had a prayer time activation, and we were, were saying that the Lord wanted to show us things from his perspective in heaven concerning the nation of Brazil. And I was so blessed, not only during the time we were there, but when I came back and I reread those, I was stunned by the accuracy 
of what God said to all of you during that prayer time. In fact, some of the places where pastors, numbers of churches are coming alongside, and we did not have contact there before, those, those places on the map were, were specifically notated during that prayer time by not just one person, but three people. And I was stunned. In fact, one person saw a volcano, and um, the very area where, that had been identified, that area had a kind of like Yellowstone. It was kind of like a dormant volcano without the, without the big mountain. And nobody would have known that. But God's Spirit said, you're going to have people that are going to come from there. And a number of other things that were said were, were really indications of what you were praying for, what God's heart was. And, you know, in the past, sometimes people have said, well, we do these things, and you don't have any direct words. We want direct words. I'm sorry, but when you go before the throne of God, <laughs> you're praying for his will to be done, and then you're going to walk in faith. And if you're waiting for an advanced copy of the Bible before you do anything, you ain't going to go anywhere. But to see that we were praying this and heaven was mobilized in this way and all of these things were said, then we went for two weeks and we came back to look at those things again and say, wow, exactly what was being talked about there. We didn't know how it was going to be. Here it is. So tonight we're going to go back and we're going to go before the Lord and we're going to revisit those places of intercession in the heavens, which is our right to do because the Scripture says it in a number of places. And we're going to see what the Spirit of the Lord is saying today. And I think that's going to be a very exciting moment. It's going to be a wonderful time. More, much more will be said about this tonight at 530. So we invite you to come. We're going to have a great time in prayer. But I do want to encourage you. God is speaking through His people your intercession is in line with the throne of God and with the temple in heaven. This is a wonderful partnership that we're going to know through eternity. And, and I just want you to know how not only vital it is, how viable it is, and how prophetic it is. So thank you for that. And we'll look forward to this tonight. And I'm done. Heavenly Father, bless this great group of people and bless the multitudes of our saints' family who are joining with us today. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the rock upon which we stand. Thank you for using your people. We love you. We commit ourselves afresh to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, one final thing. Now, tonight you're going to be getting one of those maps of Brazil again. Those of you at home or wherever you are, if you want to participate in this, that map is posted up there on this morning site. You can pull it down. There's no outline, but that's the map, and you can pray alongside. It's on the website.